Okay, are y'all ready for these gears to grind on going to this next question? Because it's night and day different. Here we go. Here's our next question. Did somebody have a question? Did somebody say something? <laughs> Here we go. Here's question number two for tonight. How do we explain election? So we've gone from Santa Claus to the doctrine of election. Um, I'm going to try to in... We'll, we'll come back if we need to. I'm going to try to just in 15 minutes or so... <laughs> Give a, what I'm assuming with this question is that we're trying to introduce somebody to this thought who, who's new to it. Okay, so that's how I'm going to address it. Um, and I'm going to try to, in 15 minutes, just sort of do an introduction to it with the understanding, if there's something that's not clear to you or that you have questions about, feel free to ask me afterwards, and we'll spend, we'll spend some time next week on this if we need to. Okay, so I'm just going to try to do, do an introduction. And also, let me give you a couple of resources if you're interested in diving into this a little bit more. One of my favorite books on just an introduction to the doctrine of election is R.C. Sproul's book, Chosen by God. Um, it's a fantastic book. Sproul does a great job of hitting the big issues and explaining what the doctrine of... In fact, I've been trying to figure out what we're going to do in our next book club. We're going to do Chosen by God for our next book club, Mandy. If Mandy does all of our Facebook stuff, by the way. So if you're helped by Facebook, let Mandy know how much you appreciate it. She does a great job keeping all that stuff updated. So we'll do Chosen by God for our next book club, and we'll think through some of that. Um, there's a, a similarly titled book that's also good by Sam Storm. It's called Chosen for Life that's also very good. And then there's another book that I recommend to folks sometimes just because it's a very easy read called um, A Journey in Grace by a guy named Richard Belcher. And it's a really good introduction because it, it kind of tells it in a narrative account. It's the story of a guy who is in seminary and he's trying to think through these issues as he's been confronted with them. And so it's kind of telling his story from this narrative as he wrestles through it and studies through scripture and the conclusions that he comes to. So it's another really good read. Um, Ellie and I read that together last year. So it's really easy, really good. So good introduction to it. Um, so there, there are some resources. Now, this is great timing for this question because, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last week in two different venues and two different Bible studies, this issue has come up. So for our men, um, we have been studying through 2 Timothy on Thursday mornings. And this past week, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is one of the verses we looked at last week, or this past Thursday. 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore... I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Then, this morning, we were in Colossians 3. And do you remember one of the titles that Paul assigns to Christians in Colossians 3? Listen to Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. So, just within the last four days in two different settings, we've been looking at passages of Scripture that mention the doctrine of election. And those are far from the only passages of Scripture that would mention it. Jesus talks about it. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 24, 22. He's talking about this time of persecution, and he says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Jesus talked about it. Peter talked about it. I'll just give you one example Peter says, but you are a chosen generation. And that word chosen is the same word that's translated elect 
You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Of course, Paul talks about it regularly. In fact, one of the things that has always struck me about Paul's writings in the New Testament is Paul will talk about the doctrine of election to different churches regardless of how old the church was. So Paul might be writing to a church that is a brand new, very immature church, but he doesn't avoid talking about the doctrine of election. Now, that's important, I think, because sometimes people have the idea that the doctrine of election should be, should be tucked away somewhere in a back room at church and should only be talked about by the really mature Christians. But that's just not what you get from Paul in the Bible. Here's a few examples of Paul talking about it. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Just as he, this is that same word, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having, we get two boogeyman words in the same passage, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. A few more from Paul, 1 Thessalonians 1. Listen to what he calls the church at Thessalonica. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering you, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now Paul's saying all these things up here are proof to him that these people are part of God's elect people. Romans 8, 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, I'm highlighting that just to make the point that this is not a word or a doctrine that is rarely used in the Bible. Um, Christians, we are referred to as the elect more than we're called Christians, more than we're called believers. The Bible doesn't speak about election in um, hushed tones. Here's the way Charles Spurgeon said it. Spurgeon said, I do not hesitate to say that next to the doctrine of the crucifixion and resurrection of our blessed Lord, no doctrine had such prominence in the early Christian church as the doctrine of the election of grace. Okay, so this, this is not something that is, is somehow hidden in the Bible. It's right there in plain view. It's there and it's prominent. And God put it there for our good. Did you hear that? God put it there for our good. So not only should we not um, avoid it, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. So what does it mean? Well, the word elect just means to choose. It means to choose out of many options. So when we have a presidential election, what are we doing? We are choosing one candidate out of options. When, when you get the story of David in the Bible, and we're told that David was getting ready to fight Goliath, and he went down to the, the creek bed. You remember when he's getting ready for the battle? And we're told that David chose five stones to go fight Goliath. And in the Septuagint, it's the same word that's used in all these passages. It's the word for election. David chose five stones. That means out of all the stones in the creek bed, David picked out five stones for his own purposes. So when we talk about election, when it comes to salvation, it means that God has chosen out a people for himself. Here's the way Wayne Grudem defined it. 
He writes, election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Okay, so just to be clear, that's what we're talking about. And if I'm trying to help somebody understand the doctrine of election who has never heard it before, one of the things I would want to do is, is something like what I just did. I, I want to help them see that this is something that is clearly in the Bible. Okay, so which means that I can't say, if I'm going to be a Christian who says I submit to the authority of Scripture, I can't say I don't believe in election. If I'm going to be a Christian who says I submit to the authority of Scripture, I can't say I don't believe in predestination. That, that would be like me saying I don't believe in heaven. Those are all talked about in the Bible. So I have to believe in them. Does that make sense? So that's one thing I'm going to do is I want folks to see just the cascade of verses in the Bible that talk about this. And I should add, this isn't just a doctrine that's talked about in the New Testament. You could argue that it's talked about even more in the Old Testament. Because what's the main story that runs through the Old Testament? That God chose a nation of people to be his people. And this nation that God chose are the ones he revealed himself to. These people who God chose are the ones he gave the sacrificial system to. These people who God chose are the ones he would send the Messiah through. And God decided he was going to do all that through the descendants of this man named Abraham. And the question would be, well, why, why Abraham? Was Abraham just better than, than everybody else? No, Abraham was an idolater living in the land of Ur when God called him out. So of all the people, God chose Abraham. Of all the nations, God chose Israel. God did not give his word to the Hittites. He gave his word to Israel. God did not give the temple to the Ming dynasty. He gave the temple to the nation of Israel to build that's teaching them these crucial lessons about who God is and the nature of God and how sinners approach God. God did not appear in fire on some mountain in Assyria and give the Ten Commandments to the Assyrians. God did that to the nation of Israel. And over and over, the Old Testament makes that point, that Israel should be unbelievably grateful for the grace that God had shown them in choosing them. I'll give you just a few examples. Listen to Isaiah 45, 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not named me. And this sort of language is used for Israel regularly in the Old Testament. Listen to how it said in Deuteronomy 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all people. Do you see what God's emphasizing? You're, you're the people of God because God chose you to be the people of God. And he didn't choose you to be the people of God because there was something special about you. So, so what happens is you have this whole backstory in the, in the Old Testament. So when you move into the New Testament, and most of the earliest Christians in the New Testament are Jews, 
And Paul and Peter, who are writing, are Jews, and they start saying to these people who are turning to Jesus, you are the elect of God. You're here because God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. That wasn't a concept that was hard for them to understand because they had been steeped in these Old Testament scriptures that are constantly teaching them that we serve a sovereign God who from the beginning has chosen a people for himself. Okay, so this is something that they were very familiar with as you then move into the New Testament. So I'm going to emphasize that, that this is an important thread that runs through the whole Bible. Now again, I realize that, that some folks would, would wish that it wasn't there, but if you pull this thread out, the whole storyline unravels. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, you get this constant thread that runs through about a sovereign God who for his own gracious purposes has looked at this mass of humanity, none of which deserves anything good from him because this whole mass of humanity has rejected him and for his own purposes, by his own grace, he has chosen a people for himself. So it's clear that God elects or chooses from Old Testament to New Testament. You can't say I don't believe in it. The only question is, so chooses, elects based on what? And some would say that, well, God, God makes his choice based on some condition that he sees in the people. In other words, this view would say God looks, he looks over the scope of history he looks over the, the course of time and God sees, maybe God sees the people who are going to be the most moral people. And that's who God then backs up and chooses to make his own. Or God looks over the whole scope of history and he finds the people who of their own will, by their own volition, are going to choose to trust in Jesus themselves. And then once God sees who's going to trust in him, he then backs up and chooses them in advance. Okay, that's conditional. He's going to make his choice based on some condition he sees in the individual. And, and that, that view of election is not supported in the Bible. What you get in the Bible is that God's elective choice is unconditional. That means, that means God did not choose to show grace. God didn't do this because of some foreseen good thing. This is why when election is talked about in the Bible, Ephesians 1, um, 2 Timothy 1, when election is talked about in the Bible, it, it regularly attaches on phrases like, God did this before the foundation of the world. Or God did this before time began. Now, now, why does the Bible make such an emphasis of saying God did this before the world was formed? God did this before time began. Well, it's, it's all meant to make this point that God did this before you and I even existed. God did this not based on any good thing that we would ever imagine we could do. Listen to how it's worded in Romans 9. This is verses 10 and 11. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac. Now, now pause. Who were Rebekah's sons? Jacob and Esau. And what was unique about Jacob and Esau is Jacob and Esau were twins. So Jacob and Esau are brothers, same father, same mother, same womb, same time. But God 
chose Jacob, not Esau. And here's what Paul says about that, verse 11. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Do you see what this is emphasizing? God chose Jacob, not Esau, but not based on any good or evil that they would do. So let, let me say this and then we'll wrap up. When you're talking about the doctrine of election, what you're ultimately talking about is, listen to me now, what you're ultimately talking about is what ultimately does it mean to say that we're saved by grace? Because if I ask you the question, why is it that you have trusted in Jesus and your neighbor hasn't? Why, did, why are you following Jesus and not the person who sits next to you in that desk at school? Is your answer, well, I'm a follower of Jesus because I have a more sensitive conscience than they have. I'm a follower of Jesus because I make better choices than they make. I'm a follower of Jesus because I have a softer heart than they have. If you give any sort of answer like that, you are ultimately claiming some of the glory of salvation for yourself. So what the doctrine of election says is that our salvation is entirely by grace. We are saved because there was nothing good in us, but God graciously chose to act, to bring to life, to call, to save. L listen back. Let me read this verse again to Ephesians 1. I want to highlight something for you. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now notice this last phrase. It's talking about God choosing us. God's predestined us. Why? What's the ultimate purpose of God doing it this way? You ready? To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So if ultimately you think the reason you're in the kingdom is because of something you did, your choice, your conscience, your soft heart, if you ignore or avoid the doctrine of election, all you're doing is robbing God of some of his glory. You're making grace less glorious than it really is. Because Paul says recognizing God's the one who chose us and he's the one who predestined us is something that helps us see how unbelievably glorious his grace really is. That he didn't respond to something good he would see in me. Listen, there was nothing good to see in me. If God was waiting, looking through the corridors of time to see when I would make a good move toward him, he would have been waiting forever. And he would have been waiting forever for you too. This is why you're talking about how I would introduce this to people. One way would be sort of what I'm doing to show the cascades of, of Bible verses that point to it and then talk about what it's based on. But the other way would just be to spend some time talking about what man's nature is before salvation. Because if you get what your nature is before salvation, what the Bible says our condition is before salvation, then you're left recognizing our only hope is unconditional election. That's the only hope we have. So 
so if you get total depravity, it necessarily logically leads to unconditional election. But it, it takes a while to cover all of that to get there. So um, that's another way to get into it, though. So if you understand man's nature, it's unavoidable to end up at unconditional election. So that's another way to explain it. Now, that leaves a million questions unanswered. But that's just how, if this is somebody who is brand new, they've never heard it before, maybe they, they're even resistant to it, I'm going to want to take, especially if they submit to the authority of Scripture, the Bible is what we submit to, I'm going to want to show them how from Genesis to Revelation, this is something that's held up, not hidden away, but held up in the Bible, so we can't deny it or ignore it, and then all we're left doing is say, well, then what's it based on? And I think the Bible Bible's clear on that too. Okay, so I know that's, that's a, a crash course in presenting it. Um, and we got to get into our conference. So here's what I'm going to do. If you have a question, if there's a million things that are confusing on this to you, let me know after the service. And we can come back next week and sort through some more of these questions. Any questions you have, anything not clear, let me know. Okay, and we'll cover it next time. All right? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to start our church conference. So if you're visiting with us, you are more than welcome to slip out after this prayer. You can hang around if you'd like, but you're also welcome to slip out. We're going to have a a members meeting. We don't have a whole lot to go over tonight, just some updates. Um, But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into our conference, okay?